Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So Elon Musk really pissed off the Ukrainians with his proposal to end war with Russia, but he posed a very simple and important question, and I've got one too. The show starts now. So earlier this week, Elon Musk tweeted out a poll asking respondents to weigh in on a possible Ukraine-Russia peace proposal, which involved redoing elections of the annex region under UN supervision, giving up the Crimean Peninsula to Russia, and maintaining Ukraine as a neutral country. And if you haven't guessed, certain Ukrainians were not happy with it. In a classy and very world peacey response, a Ukrainian diplomat told Musk to F off. And not to be outdone, magazine cover model slash Ukrainian President Zelensky tweeted his own poll asking users if they preferred a Musk who supports Russia or Ukraine. Now, both are pretty bold responses from those whose country was gifted Musk's Starlink satellite service to help Ukraine with internet connectivity. Also, pretty bold responses from Ukrainian leaders who are reliant on other countries, namely the United States, to fund their war effort. The only thing Zelensky loves more than seeing himself in the press is money from other countries. Sorry, is that controversial? Well, too bad. It's true. Whether you like it or not or you agree with his proposal, Musk was 100% right to point out it'd be the likely outcome anyway and how many have to die before it is. That doesn't make him a Russian or a Putin sympathizer. It makes him an honest and realistic man who, like many of us, is wondering how long the Ukraine-Russia saga is going to drag on and how many more lives are going to be lost in the process. And it's not wrong to put that out there because here are the facts. Ukraine cannot hold off Russian forces on its own, however noble and valiant its fight has been up to this point. Kudos, but without the seemingly endless supply of money and weapons from other nations like, I don't know, the United States, this conflict isn't going to end with the Ukrainian victory parade. Hate to tell you, but that's pretty evident. And in the meantime, as we continue to prop up Ukraine, people are dying and much less, but to add to it, global energy prices are going through the roof. And hello, winter is coming. Since Joe took office, the U.S. has sent a whopping $16.9 billion to Ukraine and counting. How much more are we going to send and for how long? Oh, and meanwhile, look at our own damn country. We've allowed the population equivalent of Ireland to invade our southern border. But it's our diplomatic duty to protect Ukraine's border in perpetuity and ours is ransacked and bombarded? Hmm. Some Floridians have also lost everything in Hurricane Ian. Hundreds of thousands of Americans are dying of fentanyl overdose. Inflation is over 8%. Why did, just days ago, the House pass yet another bill to send another $12.3 billion to Ukraine? Congress has now committed more military aid to Ukraine than it has to any country in a single year since the Vietnam War. And P.S. 10 Republicans voted for that crap too, mind you. 
freaking passing out billions like Halloween candy. Good Lord. I'm not a Putin sympathizer. I don't want Ukraine to fall to Russia. I want the United States to be a good ally. But Jiminy Crickets, at some point, the money spigot has got to be tightened. America first used to mean something, and it's about damn time we elect leaders who make it mean something again. But still ahead, it's not just pilots and travelers annoyed with airlines these days. Flight attendants are also at their wits end. Flight attendant and president of the Union of Southwest Flight Attendants joins me next with the frustrations from 30,000 feet above Brandon's America. So traveling these days is like a game of Russian roulette or more accurately a game of asking the Magic 8-Ball how bad it's going to be. Are we going to be delayed, canceled, or delayed and then canceled? And what are the chances the airline blames it on weather so they don't have to compensate us for Jack? But this series of unfortunate travel events isn't just annoying for travelers. Flight attendants are also fed up for many reasons. And in major cities across the U.S., including right here in Nashville, flight attendants have taken to the streets in protest. So what exactly do they want? Well, here to break that down and more is president of the Union of Southwest Flight Attendants, Lynn Montgomery. Lynn, thank you so much for being with me. Thanks for having me. So I've been seeing the, the flight attendant protests, and of course, we've had a lot of pilot protests. The airlines have been shaken up in the last couple of years for obvious reasons because of the pandemic and then everybody wanting to travel again. So no doubt there's a lot of things going on and a lot of elements here. But tell me, what is it that flight attendants really want and what are they currently not getting? You know, flight attendants have really bore the brunt of not only the pandemic and the issues that happened during the pandemic, but also passenger aggressions at the same time being stranded right along with our customers, technological failures that were so great, created chaos throughout the nation. And we need to see some significant changes to our quality of life. Yeah, well, that's that's obvious. I mean, anybody that's traveled knows that it is a nightmare. You know, sometimes we think it's getting better and then it seems like it gets worse again. I, I travel a whole lot and I've been on the travel side of that and I've seen the havoc it can wreak. But I also know that flight attendants deal with a whole different set of circumstances that the average traveler might not even understand. Tell me about the 24 hour on call. What is that and why is it a problem? Yeah, so flight attendants uh, sit shifts where they sit on call for 24 hours to be able to be there only when needed. So we have to be ready to go and get to the airport all packed up in two hours notice. We can be called anywhere from 0300 in the morning till three at night. Flight attendants end up staying up trying to find out when they're going to be called, nervous they're going to miss the call because there's harsh penalties if you do. And then maybe they'll get called to go to work at nine o'clock at night, get like a short five hour break in a hotel and work work the early flight out the next morning. So it can be very exhausting. We'd like to see that end. That's actually crazy to me. I had no idea that that was the case. Two hours to be somewhere. I mean, if someone gives me two, two hours notice to be somewhere, there's a good chance I'm not going to make it on time. I know flight attendants have to be ready for a lot of things, but that's extraordinary. And we, you know, they talk a lot about the rest period that flight attendants and pilots need to have. So are you guys still getting the rest that's required or, or how was that not sufficient? for what you guys do and the demands of your job. So Transport Workers Union Local 556 has a contract for the flight attendants that does give us 
rest time, but there are minimums that you could go down previously. You could go down all the way to eight hours from the uh, end of debrief, which is 30 minutes after flight arrival until you report the next morning, which by the time you get to a hotel was no time at all. Very fatiguing. You may have seen today that the FAA administrator just announced that there is a new law in place that will give flight attendants 10 hours instead of that, that re being reduced to eight. Uh, Southwest Airlines uh, did work with us on going ahead and getting that implemented. So we've already got that implemented, but those are the minimums that you can have. And you really don't want to have to go down to the minimums because by the time you get to the airport curb, you get transportation to the hotel, you get into your hotel room, you're getting maybe five, six hours of sleep a night. Yeah. And that's not sufficient. And you guys have had to deal with a whole lot from the mask mandates to people being upset about their delays to being upset about other people not wearing masks. But something I have to ask you too, just as someone who travels, every flight that has been canceled on me or has been brutally delayed, they tell me it's for weather. And I look outside and I look at the flight path and it just doesn't seem like weather is the excuse. You gotta tell me, are the airlines in your opinion overusing that excuse they don't have to compensate folks? You know, I don't I don't really know about that. I do know that if there's weather in perhaps the city where your aircraft may have come from, it, it might affect your flight, which you can't see it where you are. But I do think that of all the years, we have always had weather issues. Weather has been here since the, the beginning of time. And Airlines need to handle it better. We need better communication. We need to not strand passengers. We don't need to strand uh, flight attendants along with our customers. You know, flight attendants, especially Southwest flight attendants, we like to have fun. We like to ensure that our customers are having a really great flight experience so that they will come back to Southwest Airlines. And most of the time we make that happen, but it's really taking a toll on us. We're exhausted. We're tired of having to say, we're sorry. We are so tired of having to say we're sorry. And it's always you guys that get the brunt of it, of course. Anytime someone's going to miss a connection, anytime someone is delayed, we have to tell me about the compensation for that as well. So if you're a flight attendant on, on a flight that gets canceled, are you then paid for that? And are you paid when it is delayed for hours? Are you paid by the hour? Or how does that compensation work in those kind of situations? So we have a complicated pay system that was designed to be similar to how pilots get paid. We basically get paid per the mile. So for every 250 air miles, we'll get one increment of pay. And there are other ways we can get paid throughout the day. But the issues that we have now is that when we are putting in that extra time, we're not seeing those additional premium pays that should be kicking in sooner for working overtime, having to stay on board with customers. And one thing that really impacts is that we're not paid sufficiently for boarding, which is one of our most difficult, challenging, and busiest times. Yeah, and so I want to go back and clarify something as well. So if you are delayed and you're the flight attendant on that flight and that flight's delayed two, three, four hours, you're not in the air, so technically that's not any miles accrued. Uh, are you paid for that time that you are delayed? We have uh, a guarantee of a rig value that kicks in, but it doesn't kick in often enough. So the, the short answer to that is not sufficiently. Wow. 
I can't imagine how frustrating that is. You know, as travelers, our plans are ruined, but you guys having to sit around and not get paid, essentially volunteering your time at, at the wonderful airport, airports across the U.S., not great. Uh, I want to turn to another thing. Uh, thank goodness the mask mandate is done. I mean, that time, I can't imagine what it was like for flight attendants. But I, I'm not asking you to rat out your fellow flight attendants, but I will tell you this. When I was flying during the never-ending COVID era of the face diapering, uh, I noticed that there were certain flight attendants, I, I don't want to guess their political affiliation, but there were certain flight attendants who seemed to take great joy in looking if uh, your mask was a millimeter below your nostril. Some seemed to really enjoy those powers that they were given, and then others really hated the fact that they had to be put in charge with that. But give me kind of the inside scoop on that time and how you saw it. You know, I really credit flight attendants for having to endure the pandemic changes. You know, when everybody else was staying at home, flight attendants weren't. And at the very beginning of the pandemic, you know, we lost our our fellow crewmates due to this disease, due to this disease while contracting it at work. And flight attendants had to deal with that fear and anxiety. They also had to worry about taking it home to their families. So uh, I'm sorry that you had those experiences, but for the most part, most flight attendants really did a good job of having to deal with the mask mandate, which was a very new thing to have to, you know, govern per se. And then it did create a high level of hostility on board the aircraft where flight attendants became the victims of assaults. We became the victims of tons of microaggressions on board where uh, it was very unpleasant. It created a lot of anxiety and fear in going to work. Yeah, it was really unfair that you guys had to be the mask police. And no matter where you stood on masks, having to make sure that everyone had them above their nose and then making sure that people would eat and then put them right back up between bites. I mean, it was a moronic time in history, and I hope that we never go back there. But, Lynn, I hope that you guys get everything that you're fighting for. Uh, I spend a lot of time in the air and a lot of time with wonderful flight attendants like yourself. And you guys certainly deserve not only safe work conditions, but you deserve to be uh, fairly compensated. And you deserve all the respect and appreciation in the world. So thank you so much for being on the show today and breaking it down for us. Thank you, Tommy. We appreciate it. Wonderful. God bless you. And up next... While real meat might be overpriced and in shorter supply under Brandon, that Beyond Meat fake sludge crap is still fully stocked because no one wants it. But fourth-generation dairy farmer and American agriculture advocate Stephanie Nash is back in studio with me next. So look, I have vegan friends, and there's nothing wrong with choosing that diet and that lifestyle because to each their own. But when I saw this story on the popular Am I an A-hole subreddit, I knew I had to share it with you and my next guest. So it comes from a meat-eating father who shared the story of his newly vegan 14-year-old daughter who now demands her entire family stop eating meat at home. Joining me now with what I'm sure will be a spicy take on that and so much more is my friend and fourth-generation dairy farmer Stephanie Nash. So I want to start with this because I saw it and I thought it was pretty funny because I don't think this is the only parent that's dealing with this right now. A lot of these teenagers coming home wanting to be vegan and then now demanding that their entire family just stops eating meat. What do you think about that? I mean, I saw it a lot at Fresno State when I went to college there, like the activists, the followers of this vegan vegetarian lifestyle. It's so extreme. It's not just about the healthy living ways or just yeah. like about saving the animals. They literally have lines that they tell their parents or they tell, you know, students across the college campus of this is why you should go vegan. So 
It's like an extremist following. It's kind of like a cult is what I call it. A cult and a religion for people mm -hmm. that largely have no religion. They either worship veganism or climate change and usually both. So it's very odd to me, but I see this a lot, this vegan lifestyle. And it's fine. I have friends that are vegan and they choose that lifestyle and that's totally fine. It's not something I'm ever going to do, but that's fine with me. It's about pushing it on others that I think is problematic. You and I talk about that a lot. But something that they haven't been successful with is actually uh, the beyond meat, the impossible meat, the fake sludge crap. Not only was it largely left on store shelves when there was meat scarcity, nobody wanted that, but the shares of that have gone down 75% that this year. What do you think accounts for that? Well, I'll tell you, I did a story about this two weeks ago, and one of the CEOs of Beyond Meat bit somebody's nose off at right. a football game. And I was like, this is exactly the kind of stuff you're gonna get in your bodies and it's gonna make you go crazy, right? And also, if you look at ingredients in other countries and compare it to Beyond Meat, there's a lot of ingredients that are illegal in other countries and the American people don't know because their marketing is good. I will give them that. Their marketing is good to the American people and people sitting at home that do not realize where their food is coming from. And they're creating this narrative that agriculture is bad for the planet and Beyond Meat is our future and it should be the total opposite. But the shares kind of speak for themselves that that drop there kind of says that people are not really about it. I think it was the new thing. People wanted to give it a try. They were pushing that in Burger King. I mean, Taco Bell everywhere had the Beyond Meat substitute. We still see it. It's still in a lot of chains and a lot of restaurants. Of course, it's still at the grocery store. But I think by and large, people are saying, you know, if I'm going to be vegan, I'm just going to eat a good old plant. I'm not going to eat whatever this processed crap is. For those that are unaware, can you kind of tell us what your perception of what is in fake meat really is? Yeah, so there's actually a ingredient called red three and that is very harmful to the body it actually was banned by the fda um, for cosmetics so i tell people all the time if it is banned from putting on your face and wearing makeup why should we be putting into your bodies there's a lot of other ingredients that you can go into bad oils that are not supposed to be um, in your foods and like additives i tell all the all the time that you know vitamin d and calcium just doesn't come out of the air from fake foods like that it is lab grown chemically grown food but this lab grown model that seems to be what they are heavily pushing. We know the Bill Gates of the world. They want that to be the new the new thing. They want to get rid of agriculture, like you said. And I think how China ties into all of this is also very concerning. We know that they're buying land up in the United States, a lot of ag land they're buying up. What do you make of that, and what do you think the end goal is? I think it's scary. If people really pay attention to kind of the trend of Bill Gates, China, Russia coming into America and buying on America soil, it is very concerning to me as a family farmer and rancher because we see inflation, how it's affected my agriculture industry and your family as well. Um, but, you know, China is somebody that we do not want and coming in and buying up land. They already right. own Smithville Foods, which is a processing plant. We don't need them to be integrated in other, you know, livestock as well. Yeah, I would agree. I think any time that communist China is coming in and buying up land in North Dakota, that should startle folks. They should be a little upset by that, whether it's for military purposes, ag purposes. It doesn't matter. It's concerning. It should make the hair on the, the back of your neck stand up a little bit. You would think uh, the same thing with Beyond Meat. It Honestly, I think it's disgusting. It doesn't taste like meat. It's gross. All these things concerning. But let's talk about what we can do for family farmers and ranchers. Because for those that are outside of the ag industry, they hear things like Farm Bill, 2023 and they think oh just more subsidies <laughs> that's what they think right yeah but how consequential is this going to be for people like you for families like yours what's going to be in it and what are you most concerned about 
Yeah, so this is a big topic among the agriculture industry. I mean, my dad's going to a hearing in two weeks with farmers and ranchers across Tennessee. Um, I know there's been a lot of hearings in Missouri and New York, and, you know, this is a big deal. It's not only a big deal for family farmers and ranchers, but it's for the American people. It's the biggest package of legislation to go through and kind of structure our food supply, not only for the United States, but imports and exports. And so um, if you're looking closely at the Farm Bill 2023. If you've heard anything about uh, Build Back Better and Green <laughs> New Deal, um, I can tell you and the American people that it's going to be uh, just money flowing through Washington, D.C. and trying to get this climate change initiative to be stronger in the Farm Bill. That is not what we want. We do not want to continue to increase alternative options into our agriculture diets. Right. And we sure as hell don't want to increase, um, you know, the devastation going on in our agriculture communities of family farmers and ranchers going out of business. Do you think we're going to get to the point in the United States, because other countries have already done it, where we're going to start limiting methane emissions from our livestock? Because other countries, they're already doing New Zealand is already talking about it. They already want to implement that. Some countries are really very serious about it, and it's going to happen. Do you think if the Democrats are in charge again come midterms and in 2024 and in the next several years, do you think that we're edging closer to that kind of a reality? I mean, coming from California, absolutely. You know, they force farmers into a corner to do this kind of regenerative agriculture. And while I am 100% about that, I am not 100% about politicians and activists telling me how to do my job when they know nothing about, you know, the strides that we have taken in the last 10 years to be environmentally friendly. We are doing so much to be consumer happy for them. And so I think there's going to be a big change in the next 10 years if Americans don't, you know, get behind family farmers and ranchers and what we are already doing for the planet. Yeah, I mean, I come from an agriculture state. I come from a ranching family. So I know this just like you know this, that the biggest stewards of the land are those who work the land, those who raise cattle on the land, those who farm and till the land. They love the land more than anybody and they protect the land more than anybody, certainly more than any activist in D.C. or New York City. I mean, that's just obvious. Go to the Midwest, go to the South, come to Tennessee, even go to rural California. You will see it all over. These people care about their livestock and they care about the land. But right now we're being hit with inflation over 8%. Uh, there was a meat shortage, and in some places there is an ongoing meat shortage. It's hard to find quality meat. It's hard to know what you're eating, even if it's not beyond meat, even if it actually is meat. I think there are a lot of consumers out there, too, that they can't afford to, to shop at Whole Foods. They can't afford organic, but they want to make sure that they're getting something that's decent. What advice would you give them? Yeah, and this is something that I've been talking about lately, too, is, you know, last year, the four meat packers, which is who control the cattle farmers, made over $13 billion. And the CEOs and everybody in charge was saying, no, it wasn't because of inflation. We wanted to help the American people. But when you look at the big corporations compared to small family farmers and those four meat packers, they control 80%. So you're looking at ground beef up 18%. You're looking at steaks up 14%. And, you know, that's not because of the family farmer rancher. Those are big mm -hmm. corporations, big government controlling our food supply and controlling the pricing. And that is why the Farm Bill of 2023 is so important for family farmers and ranchers to lobby around the American people because we are protecting them. The government is not. Yeah, protecting the consumer, people that still do eat meat and want their meat to be decent. And also maybe from America, that's a big thing. Something that I advocate for is country of origin labeling. You mentioned the meat packers, the, the four, two of them are Brazilian companies. They're importing foreign beef. 
They're calling it product of USA. It's got the USDA labels all over it, but we don't know where it's from. We just know where it was packaged. We don't know where it was raised. We don't know where it was slaughtered in some cases. We just don't know. We do not have that labeling, and the American people deserve to know. But unless we do rally around our American cattlemen, our American farmers, our American dairy farmers, we aren't going to know where this stuff is coming from. Let's talk about another foreign entity, India. 100,000 cattle, 2 million people plus sickened. What's going on over there? This is why we need to know where our food is coming from. Exactly what you just said, and I'm a big advocate for a stronger labeling system in the United States. You know, India's lost over 100,000 cattle, and it's not slowing down is what they are saying. You know, it's not only... You know, the income of the Indian people, there's a lot of farmers and ranchers, um, over 80% of the people have their own animals or farm their own land. And it's really scary to see this disease and how it has taken so much cattle. You know, it doesn't even affect the immune system, but it affects the milk production for families that are on milk, little kids trying to grow you know, strong bones, mm -hmm. but it also affects the next generation. They're seeing birthing defects. So that's really bad if you're trying to have calves and right. keep some of your cattle on your land and they're just dying off so fast. Yeah, it's obviously something that American cattlemen, American farmers go through yearly as well, sometimes with the early freezes and people lose everything with these winter storms. And people often forget about the people that don't live on the coasts or don't live where there's a lot of media, they forget about the livelihoods of these people. And then for me, coming from a state like that and seeing the devastation that something like a natural disaster can cause, and then seeing that we're sending you know, almost $17 billion to Ukraine, it's bothersome to me. It, it really does bother me. But I think the best thing that we can do, like you said, is control the narrative. And so often, and I think you know this as well, you're very outspoken about it, but there are a lot of people in the agriculture and livestock industry that are just quiet, humble people. And they don't want to be out lobbying and they don't want to be advocating. They just want to work hard. So it's up to people like you and people like me who care about this stuff to get it out there. But if there's one thing that you could say to this younger generation that is being raised in this beyond meat environment, this vegan this, vegetarian that, meat is bad, you know, farmers and ranchers are evil to animals, what would you tell them? I think there's a shift coming. I think there's going to be a change in the American people's hearts. We saw it during COVID. People wanted the wholesome products. Like you said earlier, they left beyond meat on the shelves. I think there's a lot of big farmers and ranchers out there starting platforms, especially around our age, because we are the generation that is going to be lost. You know, it's not the generation coming up. A lot of those farmers have been sold off. You know, there's 40 cattlemen a day selling off right now. And there's two, uh, you know, dairy farms in Wisconsin a day going out of business. So we are, you know, going out of business very fast. So I think the next generation just needs to understand, doesn't matter your background, doesn't matter where you come from. If you have a passion for our food supply, being American grown, uh, believing in freedom, that is what we need from next generation farmers and ranchers. And we must stay strong against our government to control our food supply. And we must support local. I agree. And just for those that aren't familiar but do watch the show Yellowstone, that's very realistic in some ways that they buy up this land and the Californians come in with all their money and they build resorts and this and that. But the resorts are wonderful if you want to go stay for a weekend. doesn't do a whole lot to give back to the American people certainly is not a food source and a food supply. So there's only so many ski resorts you can build and so many wonderful mansion estates you can build for the Hollywood celebrities that want to get out of California and come to a great state like Montana. But at some point, that's not helpful anymore. 
So I appreciate you for having a loud, strong voice on this. And we're going to have to wait and see what's in that farm bill. But thank you. And let's hope to goodness it's not another climate change bill because <laughs> we need one of those like we need a hole in the head. But thank you for being here and always being the voice of our American farmers and ranchers. It's always appreciated. But up next, will there ever be an honest and open discussion about vaccine side effects? Well, my final thoughts are next. So I know I'm going to get censored and shamed by the COVID fear pornographers for saying this, but am I the only one that finds it a little weird and a little suspicious that young, otherwise healthy and well-conditioned professional athletes are suddenly experiencing heart and health issues after that good old experimental vaccine? Weird. It's time for Final Thoughts. aren't supposed to question the almighty COVID vaccine. I get it. Even if it doesn't prevent COVID, even if vaccinated people have still died from COVID, and even if the booster the government is now recommending has only been tested on eight lab mice, we are still supposed to sit down and shut up because that's the way science is run these days. No dissent allowed. But luckily, I don't really give a lab rat's hiney about being censored at this point, so I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway. It's freaking weird and suspicious professional athletes are suddenly experiencing health and heart problems after the all-but-forced COVID vaccine. Take J.J. Watt, for example. He is a 33-year-old NFL defensive end for my non-sports fans and followers out there. And last week, he had to have his heart shocked back into rhythm after going into atrial fibrillation, a rapid and irregular heartbeat. Now, can I tell you this was vaccine-related? No, I sure can't. But I've heard from pilots, Air Force service members, and even Johns Hopkins world-renowned doctor and scientist Dr. McCary that these heart conditions and abnormalities are suddenly more prominent since the introduction of the COVID series of vaccines. Is there a connection between heart abnormalities and the vaccine? Well, yes, yes, there is. But uh, don't worry, guys. Most health organizations don't recognize it as a vaccine side effect, and the CDC hasn't listed it yet. So all clear, don't question it. Some sources suggest it, but I'm sure they're just those whacked conspiracy theorists who've had a real knack for being right in the last two years. Will the guardians of science ever be honest about it? Will they release the studies on the vaccine side effects? Will they so much as acknowledge vax injuries? I'm not going to hold my breath because there is a very suspicious wave of shut the hell up-ism going on in the medical and science community right now. Maybe that's why there's also a mass exodus. I mean, hell, look at California. Governor Greasy Newsom just signed a bill into law making it easier for the California Medical Board to punish doctors who spread COVID-19 misinformation. Funny how misinformation always seems to be the information that's not convenient or helpful to one side of the mostly political science equation. I'm not a doctor, I'm not a scientist, and I don't know jack about vaccines, but I do have eyes and ears, and the links that the powers that be are going to tamp down on any discussion that goes against the vaxes gospel narrative is frightening. And what boggles my mind is that the woke crowd will question about everything but not the COVID fear porn and not Big Pharma. Seems a little eyes wide shut to me, but I'm just going to leave it at that. Those are my final thoughts. Make sure you catch the entire show and exclusive content at outkick.com. From Nashville, God bless and take care.